You're listening to Atheistically Speaking. Hello and welcome to Atheistically Speaking. This is episode 91 with your host, Thomas Smith. Joining me uh, for however long we, we can go on this this thing is Bobby C. from No Religion Required. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well, sir. How are you? Uh, good, good. Well, it's interesting. If I may, the listeners may hear me float away. The, my, my house might just, you know, kind of float down a, uh, the street because we've had some flash flooding and things, but uh, so... So uh, just just letting anyone know if you hear any gargling noises or yeah, <laughs> if at one point I'm crying for help and sound like I'm drowning, don't panic. I'm probably fine. <laughs> I probably well, I'm, in I'm in southeast Georgia, so I probably couldn't help you much from here. <laughs> you could call somebody. You could do something. Yeah, I Come could, on, I could call somebody. I'll I'll call nine one one for you. But if if the listeners hear it, that means I somehow posted the episode, so I'm fine. <laughs> Long story short, I got through it. Uh, but yeah, no, it's interesting. We got hit with a huge storm, which is great because this is the driest state. You know, a huge drought, but. Uh, when we tend when we get rain it tends to just come all at once <laughs> just a giant you know pale pouring rain all over so uh yeah so i um had several commenters say that uh they wanted me to get you on the show because you are not a retired police officer as as one commenter said but a former police officer yes yes i am is a distinction there i suppose yeah, <laughs> basically just, it I, just means you're not old <laughs> oh, well thank you <laughs> <laughs> i'm not old right yet. um yeah so uh so dishonorably discharged no i'm just kidding <laughs> no. <laughs> no i got the honorable from the army and the police so. oh good okay yeah. and uh yeah and so it seems like we share a lot of listeners now I, uh, I'm wondering if you can tell me about your show because I, I'm, I apologize. I'm not familiar and I'm wondering if there's any other listeners who aren't familiar that might want to check it out. So, uh, feel free to, uh, to give it a little plug. Sure. Absolutely. The show's called No Religion Required. Uh, we're based out of Savannah, Georgia. So it's kind of like a, a Southern based redneck show. You know, we talk a little bit about, uh, what, what's going on in the news. And also we do what is called an atheist Bible study. My co-host, Miss Ashley, she's never read the Bible before. Mm. So she's going, so she's going through the Bible for the very first time. And it's very interesting to sit back and watch the facial expressions and hear <laughs> the things that she says when she sees <laughs> just yeah. the things that are in the Bible. Um, she, she is not an atheist. So she's, oh. yeah. Yeah, I am the only atheist in the group here. And she's reading the Bible. <clears throat> excuse me. She's reading the Bible for the very first time. And listeners are getting an opportunity to listen to her make her change. You know, she's kind of peeking her head out of the closet and looking around. And it's the listeners get an opportunity to listen as she's learning about different fallacies. And she's just learning more about the secular movement. Interesting. So, so yeah. is, is she a Christian? Um, she is a former Christian. She's, she's just not I, quite... Atheist yet, I guess. Right. Uh, I would put her more around the agnostic. You know, okay. she, she she just doesn't know. Sure. <clears throat> you know, so she's at a point where she's like, you know what? I don't know. And to be honest with you, I don't care. <laughs> so I'm like, you Needless know what? Needless to say, though, she she's likely surprised by what she's encountering in the Bible. 
just how very <laughs> yes very much surprised i can sort of relate to that <laughs> Yeah, sounds, yeah, with yeah. Thomas Bible. Yeah, you yeah. definitely can. <laughs> I'm so, the, the number one surprise is just the sheer boredom. Honestly, like I'm not even trying to be funny. Just the sheer boredom involved in trying to read it in the in the Old Testament. That's the most shocking thing to me. I would I would rather read about countless atrocities <laughs> and just horrible things. At least I'd be you know entertained. The pages would turn, but no, just boring. <laughs> Well, th- for for this past show, she made it to Genesis thirty eight, where oh, that's talk- that's as far as she is. Oh, okay, yeah. So things she's- still happen then. <laughs> Just wait. Okay. No, uh, God, God uh, k- killed a man because he ejaculated on the ground instead of his brother's wife. Mm, sounds like Onan. Oh yeah, so so she read that for the first time on on this week's episode that was put out this past Sunday, and it's a very inter- very interesting r- listen. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I'm specifically was having you on in relation to the Ferguson news. Now it turns out today, like not very many hours ago, uh, there was a no. Uh, what would you call it? no indictment? I guess. Uh, for the officer in New York who put a guy in a uh, put Eric Garner a in a chokehold and he died, yeah. and so this uh, uh, it's very fresh news. So I'm not not expecting a, you know in depth analysis of that, but it's something we can touch on. And uh, so I I suppose let's just get right into it. What what has been your take as uh, as someone with a bit of expertise um, on the Ferguson case? Well. Whenever I was asked to come on your show, I sat down and I read the over 120, 100, God, I don't even know how many pages it was that I read last night on the, um, the indictment evidence or the, yeah, it was, is his name Dorian Johnson or something like that? Oh, Dorian uh, Johnson, his statement, the friend. uh, I, I read the, the interview that the grand jury had with him and, Hmm. and him going in there and telling them everything that all from his side. Interesting. yeah, and then I sit back and I read um, Darren Wilson's interview with with the the detective. Yeah, wow, <laughs> what what two conflicting stories? Right, right. You know, there's so much con- conflicting stories in here, and a lot of people get confused when they think about a grand jury. A grand jury works for the prosecutor. Their job is strictly to to gather evidence and testimony and decide whether or not there's enough evidence there to indict the officer. Whenever you look at a situation like that and you got, you have two conflicting stories, they have to make the decision which one is telling the truth. Oh, they do. Yeah. Mm. And of course, the only two people that know for a fact what the truth is, is Darren Wilson and uh, Michael Brown. And unfortunately, we will never hear his side of the story. Right. So those two are the only two that really know what happened. So when it, when it came to the, to them not, not giving the indictment, I was actually pretty shocked. And the reason I say that is I think the shooting from inside the car when he was being punched by Michael Brown, if there's any truth to that at all, um, the shots for the shots in the car, I think, are clearly justifiable. My problem lies with the shots later on. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. Once once Michael Brown moved away from the from, he had a 2013 Tahoe and once he moved away from the Tahoe, the threat was gone. Now, of course, Officer Wilson got out of the, the patrol vehicle and pursued Mike Brown, which, of course, he'd have to because, first of all, the man's been shot. And yeah, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you just don't let a shot man r- r- run around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so he had so he had to. Now, 
my question for officer, if I had an opportunity to question him, would be, was there anything else that you could have done besides lethal force once you were outside the vehicle? Because there are, there are other things that could have been done. The officer had pepper spray on him. You know, did, did he have an aspiton on him? An aspiton is, is non-lethal. So is pepper spray. It's non-lethal. The man's already shot. Yeah. Now, whenever, whenever he started going toward the officer, the officer had the option of backing up. The officer in his testimony said that he was wasting time waiting for his backup to show up. That means that you could have backed up and kept backing away from Mike Brown. Your backup would have been there in a matter of 30 seconds to a minute. Why the need to shoot? Now, whenever I went through the police academy, they preached, do not shoot an unarmed man. Now, the testimony said that Mike Brown had his hands inside his waistband. Right, yeah. Okay. And I can see what officer could take that as a threat. But as an officer, you're, you're yelling, show me your hands. If he never brandishes a weapon, in my opinion, that's an unjustifiable shooting. Yeah, I, I find the, the waistband thing hard to believe. It sounds like just the standard kind of, you know, they give that every time. Oh, he's moving towards waistband. It it. Right. I mean, also, you've already gone through a conflict where it seems like if he had a gun, he would have used it already, right? I mean, exactly. I mean, if if he's standing at at the window punching the officer and the the officer shoots, Mm -hmm. I would venture to say that if I had a weapon on me and I was in his shoes, I would be shooting back. Yeah, especially once you got free, you know, once you got away. Um, I want to, I want to just ask you briefly. I don't know. Um, now being a police officer, former police officer, that doesn't, guarantee that you uh, are an expert on grand jury. So I'm wondering, or are, or does it? I mean, because my question is, does a grand jury have to evaluate who's telling the truth? Or do they just have to say, look, there's enough here. There's enough conflicting evidence. There's enough, uh, you know, troublesome evidence. Maybe we don't know who's telling the truth, but we can press charges. Can they say that? I'm, I'm to- I, I, I really don't know. Uh, I'm not too familiar with grand juries. Well, I, th- I think at some point they have to make a determination of whether or not the evidence that is presented from the eyewitnesses is, is the truth or whether the officer is telling the truth. They have to come to some form of thought on what is true. Hmm. Now, is it their job to do it? Absolutely not. Their job is to look at the evidence and to look at um, all the interviews that they're able to have with people and determine through the evidence if they feel that there's enough enough evidence to indict the defendant, whoever the defendant might be. Um, I had a chance to look at some of the eyewitness statements from the people around the neighborhood that said they saw what was going on. One said he wears glasses, but he didn't have his contacts in, so all he saw was figures. Mm-hmm. The others, others said he was hiding behind a tree. And, and I'm looking at these going, okay, the worst testimony you could ever have is, is eyewitness ceremony, ceremony yeah, because everybody yeah. sees something different. So their job is to go through all of that. The prosecutor is there to answer any questions and to explain and explain the law to them. So the prosecutor gets the grand jury together and says, "Okay, here's the evidence. Here's everything we have made the determination whether or not we should do an indictment or not. Now, what most people don't know is even if the grand jury does not indict, the the prosecutor can still press charges if he feels fit. Hmm. So it pretty much was in his hands. I mean, it seems to be by all accounts. Yeah, it it is. It is in his hands, but he uses the grand jury to make that decision. Because what happens is once the grand jury says, yes, we want to indict, it goes to trial quicker. 
because okay. you no longer have to present the evidence to the to the trial judge. Oh, I see. It's like a procedural right? kind of shortcut or it's something. That, yeah, knocks out that step. But if if that attorney decides to go against a grand jury and go ahead and go ahead with the with the indictment anyway and press charges, now that prosecutor has to present evidence in front of that judge that he thinks should allow for the charges. The problem is the grand jury's already looked at it, and no prosecutor in his right mind would go against a grand jury, or I would think that. Huh. So, but, so then how do you explain, or I mean, not, not that you necessarily know, but what is your, your guess as to why, uh, and I've, I've read some answers, but what's your guess as to why when it's a civilian grand jury pretty much always indicts when it's a police officer almost never? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is wish, weird. It, it is weird. And it's definitely something to, to, to think about, you know, because when you look at, for, for instance, this, this New York City police officer, he was not indicted. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's clear that he was choking the guy. I don't know why it is that the grand jury does not want to indict police officers. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense because, like, even if you take a random sampling of people, it would seem like. You know, I, I just just based on media and and what and and anecdotally, it's very surprising. Just because it seems like so many people are are anti police or at least anti you know police violence. There's not, I don't. I, how could it be that it always every time there's a police officer, it happens to be a police friendly jury? Is it is it the it must be the prosecutors? It must be the prosecutor, right? I mean, it's in it's in his or her hands to kind of show the the evidence in a certain way and direct kind of the flow of how things go, right? I mean, they must have a huge influence over that. Well, I think there's a bias there, yeah, because I I really do, and I don't know what I can I can say that I think the bias is on the fact that they're looking at a police officer who is supposed to be highly trained. Okay, I went through a lot of training, you know, going through the police academy and how to deal with certain situations. And that that police officer is held to a higher standard than the average civilian would be simply because of what they deal with and the things that they see. So I don't I don't know if that bias is there. And that's why I don't I don't know. I I don't know. But see, it's easy for people to see police officers in in a, a bad eye. You know, they trust me, they never call the police just to tell them how good of a job they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They hate you until they need you. Right. And then once they need you, you're they're you're their best friend and when you're done, guess what? They hate you again. <laughs> but the but the problem is they're hating the uniform. They never take the take the time to look at the person behind the badge. And that's uh, and I think that's a problem. They they forget that you're a person. All, all they see is a badge and a gun and what you represent. But I, I think I think if they'll take the time to look beyond the badge and look behind the gun belt and see that standing in those shoes and in those boots as a husband, a father, or a son, you know, uh, it's a person. I think that'll change the way a lot of people look at police officers. They have a job to do. They're trained to do it, and most do it well. But the problem is they, they just, like I said, they hate you until they need you. Yeah. It it does seem like there's a lack of accountability. You know, I, I do think there are a lot of police officers who obviously do their job well. And I will even say I tend to uh, to have a bit of biased pro-police. Um, but it's just not anything that's reasonable in these cases. You know, I mean, uh, I, I think if uh, – 
you know, I, I would be the kind of person who, if, if there's a long police chase and they tackle the guy and the, you know, the guy happens to get a little hurt. I honestly am not too terribly upset about that. If it's a, if it's a matter of a, of a bruise or two, but when you just are murdering people, like there's no, there's no excuse for that. And there's, it, 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 uh, it really isn't a laughing matter. I'm sorry for laughing, but it's, I, I agree with what you said on the, um, on the, on your analysis of the shooting. It, it, that was kind of how I was looking at it too. The car I think is, if it happened, how he said, totally justified because you just can't, you know, you can't punch a police officer. It's just not something that you can do. Um, but once you get outside of the car and once you have room to maneuver, the, the suspect is shot. You're not, you know, like you, right. you, you gotta have a bit of an advantage there. I would think it's, it, 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 that's where, you know, the, the, the bias I might have toward the police officer cuts off there. I mean, once, once it's clearly it's in your control, I, you know, you don't have license to just end people's lives. So, and then the thing with the, this New York, uh, police officer, uh, a lot of people are saying, and it's pretty disappointing because this was caught on film. And one of my uh, main things has been that I, I, I wish every police officer wore a camera, but this event is showing, well, sometimes even with full camera footage, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, Right. I, I really I we may you and I both probably need more time to delve into hopefully they release the evidence. I don't know. I'm not sure if they're going to. I think it took maybe a day last time in the in the uh, there's going right. to be all kinds of these cases. Yeah. <laughs> last one last week, you know, or whatever it was. Um, yeah, there's a thousand pages to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it hopefully they release the evidence again. And, and I, I really just have no idea like what. The angle could have been on this one. The guy has him in a chokehold. It's not a, you know, it's, it's a, a move that's not in the training. It's, 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 you know, trained against. You're not supposed to put anyone in a chokehold as a police officer, according to what, what I'm reading. I mean, was that any right. part of your ch- training? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next, no, you're going to, go ahead. No, we were trained more on, pressure point techniques now there is some there are pressure points around the neck area that you can use to subdue someone that would very much make it look like a chokehold but what you're doing is your is you're using pressure point hmm. um pressure point techniques now chokehold absolutely not the, the one thing that shocked me was when we were taught the hair grab method oh. and and basically and basically what that is I, I apologize for the phone in the background <laughs> oh it's not a here. lightsaber battle that's that's a okay. <laughs> no as long as um, she's not getting chopped by a lightsaber right now, then we're good. Oh, no, no, she forgot to mute her phone. <laughs> um, but the, the hair grab method is where you grab them by the back of their hair. You're not pulling. You have now have a handful of hair, and it's to them to stay still. If they move, it pulls their hair. Huh? Yeah. That, See, so, that, that reminds me of early, uh, early UFC. You know, uh, they they learned pretty quickly not to have long hair in that thing because it was in the rules that you, you could pull a person's hair. And it, I remember right. one early UFC fight. The guy just pulled the guy's hair out, and it's like, oh well, it wasn't against the rules, so I guess, <laughs> I guess you can do that. <laughs> Pretty effective. But no, the the, the chokehold, I was never taught in in the police academy. Hey, you're allowed to put them in a chokehold. You right. know that that's that's a no go. Yeah, it just and and it, it's oh, it's so insane too because I understand that things escalate sometimes. Like I get it when you're in a a, a heated situation, but the guy. It's not a violent offense. It's not a. It's not anything. I mean, the guy was selling Pet cigarettes, cigarettes. Ill- yeah. Ill- 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 illegally. Like what? What kind of? Why does that have to escalate to 
three officers are like on top of him and one is, you know, choking. Like that's, that's insane. I, I don't, this one. So I just want to make very clear. Now it's possible. There's some evidence that I, I you know, that could yeah, come up, I guess, but yeah. I mean, it's on video. It doesn't look good. It, the only angle I can think of, and this is just speculation is if they're trying to say that if the uh, suspect, you know, Eric Garner didn't have a condition, he would have been fine. Like that's the only thing I can think of. Like maybe if, you know, if you shove a guy and he has a heart attack, it's, it's not murder, you know, technically, but it, that's the only, only angle I can come up with. You know, he had, he had asthma or something. So, so maybe they don't know that. What's that? I said the, the the responding officer doesn't know what medical conditions right, the person yeah. has come to has. Well, that's what I'm saying. So they maybe the jury decided uh, this is pure speculation, but maybe they decided he could have died as a result of the you know stress of the situation and the you know I I don't know. I mean, I I really am just grasping at straws trying to think of what what the jury could have been thinking because I really don't get this one. The the Wilson one I can kind of understand. I really can. I mean. I still would have definitely preferred an indictment, but it's at least fathomable to me why a jury might not have voted that way. But with this one, I, I am just at a loss and it, it very clearly is a problem. Um, and, and it's, it's not going away anytime soon. Well, the, the, the problem is there's no rhyme or reason for what grand juries do. I mean, it's a, it's a group of people that come together. They all have their own thoughts. They all have their own biases and they, they have their own worldview. And when you get those people together in a room and you get 12 of them, 12 of them, and you want a two third majority to get an indictment, at least nine out of 12 need to say yes. And you, you're dealing with different personalities and different people. And it's amazing because you sit back and look at the evidence. One person may see something and somebody else will see something different. What I call good may not be good to you. Mm-hmm. So, so you get a lot of conflicts within a jury. Yeah. That, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so you're dealing with people, you know, and, and people are flawed. So to, to, but why are they always flawed in the direction of the police officer every time? <laughs> that, that's the that's what it's that, so weird. I I will never for the life of me. I'm a former police officer, and I I promise you, I will never figure that out. I, I have stood in front of several grand juries just just from things that I've been involved in as an officer, hmm. and I, and I can tell you, all three went my well. Oh, looks, looks like we have a little bit of a Skype issue. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, so you said all three went your way was was kind of last thing. Yeah, I've I've stood in front of three grand juries throughout my my law enforcement career about things that I went that I was involved in. Thank goodness none of them were shooting. Yeah, say how many unarmed men have you gunned down, sir? We're gonna get to the bottom of this. I could probably count on both hands the number of times that I actually had to uh, to unholster my weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my philosophy was I treat people the way that that I would want to be treated. You know what. I, I want to give respect to that person because I want respect back. Yeah. And, and what I found was if if you respect people, they will respect you back. You don't have to get out the car and be a total asshole. Yeah, well, that's definitely true. I mean, you you can – I mean, it's it's true that when it comes to police, I firmly believe that no matter what kind of an asshole they are, you, you know, they're the, they're the friggin' police and you got to listen to them. But <laughs> – Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, that yeah, I mean, that that's I mean, that's how I deal with it. I, I don't 
I'm yeah. not yes or no, sir, but I'm just, you know, what if I get pulled over? I'm just, yeah, whatever, whatever you want. I'm giving you no attitude, whatever. You're the police officer. I get it. Um, and, and, you know, of course, me being me, I, I haven't had to deal with it to the extent that other people have, of course. But when you're in, when, when you're an officer and you go out with just an, you know, a chip on your shoulder, I'm sure it doesn't help the situation. I'm sure things escalate more than they would if it was just, you know, just even a neutral stance, you know, like you said, I mean, treating people how you'd want to be treated. I think that could probably go a long way, but it's, it's something that you can't, I don't know how you would enforce that. It just has to be a, a encouraged or a cultural thing, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's it's all according to to the person wearing the badge, because I had several officers that that I that I, I worked with that the badge gave them a god complex. Mm, you know, yeah. uh, because they had a badge, they were untouchable, and the, those people are very dangerous. Yeah, you know, they're very dangerous to be around because they think because they. Are above the law. Instead of being someone who's to enforce the law, they are above it because they wear a badge. Um, we had several people like that, and I try to stay pretty well clear of those guys because most <laughs> of most of well, the reason I say that is because most of the calls that came across the radio that were officers needing assistance, it was those guys. Yeah, yeah. It's you like know, a guy who always gets in a fight at the bar, but it's never his fault. You know, it's like right. You know. right. It, it's never his fault. And for the officer, I'm the police and you're going to do what I tell you yeah. to do. Shut up and do it. That is not a good attitude to have. Yeah, I agree. You know, at all. So me, I never really, I, I, like I said, I could count on both hands a number of time. I actually had to take my weapon out of my holster and actually point it at someone. Now I'm, I'm curious. I want to ask you, this might see, seem a little, uh, just miscellaneous kind of stuff. Uh, from from an officer, from a former officer, what is the training with your with your weapon? I mean, because so many times um, there's you know the whole clip is emptied and people think, why did you need to shoot you know more than once? I've heard people say, well, it's your training, you you empty your whole clip. Is no. there anything you can say on that? Well, sure, there's plenty I can say. General kind of gun, yeah, <laughs> training stuff. Yeah. Well, I will start out with this. I, I, I heard, I heard one time, uh, they asked the officer, why did you shoot him eight times? He said, because he didn't fall after seven. Okay. Um, that is not a good philosophy <laughs> at all. Well, unless um, you're dealing with zombies, I guess. Right. Um, as an officer, you go through a lot of firearms training, a lot of it. I would hope. Uh, yeah, you do. But you were taught center mass. Center right, mass, right, meaning right. if you're going to pull the trigger, Pull the, pull the trigger to kill. The thing is, do do not pull that trigger unless the person across from you has a weapon in, in their hand. Now, according to, I, I don't know, every state may be different, but from the state that I live in, um, there is justifiable shootings within the department. Those justifiable shootings would be a good one, like I said, from the vehicle of Darren Wilson. The guy was overpowering. If if he had the ability to knock the officer out, next thing you know, he has to, the officer's weapon and can use the officer's weapon against him. That is a justifiable shooting. But we were taught you never, ever shoot an unarmed man if, if you can help it. Yeah. Now, um, we go through a lot of ballistics training. We go through a lot of firearms training as far as target training. And we also go through how to, I guess you can call it almost, what's the word I'm looking for? How to talk someone down out of a situation. Hmm. There's many times that I'm sure you've seen that police video where, where the officer is pointing his gun at someone that has a gun pointed back at him, but he won't take the shot. You ever seen those videos? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. 
Yeah. Um, one, one video, the guy pulled out a rifle out of his pickup truck. The officer had justifiable reason to shoot that gentleman with the rifle. Right. And the guy with the rifle was shooting at the officer. And people would look at that and go, why the hell is he not firing back? I was one of them. You know, but then you have those videos, like the female officer that took one hit from that gentleman and he put her on her back with one hit. He was unarmed and he could have easily taken the weapon off that female officer and killed her with her own weapon. Sure. So, so we're taught how to use it, how to carry it. You never put your, your finger on the trigger unless you're planning on pulling it. Yeah. So that is one question. I, I think, uh, I think I had that part right. Um, so, so there's no training to your knowledge that you need to empty your clip necessarily. It's just, but, but no. one thing that I do that I did think was true is, if if the gun's out, I mean, if you're ready to fire, that means you have to be okay with killing the person. I mean, there's no – there's center oh, yeah. mass. There's not a lot of shoot. you know, there's no shooting yeah. hands or anything like that. And yeah. that was – originally, months ago, I got that wrong and someone corrected me and said, well, there's some stuff about this, why you can't just, you know, shoot yeah. to disarm someone. And it makes a lot of sense. And that I totally accept now because that, that it just – it it makes sense that you – you know, it's too risky. It's too – it's hard to – hit exactly where you want to hit. So so from that and, part, I'm comfortable with. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it looks great in the movies. Right. <laughs> you know, you shoot the guy in the leg, you know, and you apprehend a suspect. But the fact of the matter is when you're in a situation, your adrenaline's pumping, chances are your hands are shaking some because of your adrenaline. And you're not going to take the chance to try to shoot one, someone in a leg and miss. Next thing you know, you've, you've hit an innocent bystander. Yeah. Now you have yeah. more problems. Right. So they, so they train when you're doing target training, center mass. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. Right. If you're going to pull the trigger, you better be fully ready to know that you are taking a life. Right. And that is one of the hardest aspects of police work is knowing that there may come a time that you have to take someone's life. And that's and that's a tough pill to swallow, even for officers. That's why police departments have psychiatrists on staff because of that, because the police officer is a person. And. People don't think about that aspect. You took someone's life. You took someone's son, their brother, their nephew, their grandson. He was a person who had a family, and you took their life. Now, sure, it was in the line of duty. It was him or you. But you still have to deal with the fact that you killed someone. Right. That's a hard, that's a hard pill to swallow, brother. So, you know, of, of course, I, I, I'm definitely sympathetic to that part. Um, I, I'm, so I'm wondering, did it, did it ever, what was the worst situation you got in? Did you ever have to make any decisions like that? Um, I've, thankfully, I've never had to shoot someone. Hmm. Um, I have situations where I was shot at. Um, that, that is a scary situation. Yeah. You know, I, I had a call one night. I was called to a domestic dispute. The dispatcher said, you know what? We can hear the man striking the woman. Get there. And when you get to a call like that, you don't have to knock to walk in. Right. Um, but normally when you go to a domestic dispute, you have you wait on your backup because you never know what you're getting into. Well, I'd been an officer maybe a year. You know, I still kind of wet behind the ears. Mm-hmm. And your drilling gets pumping. You know, this man, you can, he's beating this woman. Get in there and stop it. Well, your training is you never pull directly in front of the house that you're going to because you never know if it's an ambush or what's going on. So you park like a house down and then you walk up. 
Well, I was walking up. It was a double wide trailer kind of, kind of out in the country lined. And there was a line of bushes that separated the two homes. And when I come around the corner to foot, uh, the first bush, someone was on the back corner of the trailer and shot at me oh, wow. from, from the back corner. I never saw the guy. It's 1130, 12 o'clock at night. We're out in the middle of the middle of the country. It's dark. All you have in your hand is a flashlight. Oh, and wow. yeah, and you're not expecting someone shooting at you. You're going to a domestic. You're going to help someone. All I saw was the muzzle blast, and, and I heard the shot go by my head. Oh man! You know, so, so you what get happened? Into- <laughs> well, you got me. I'm hooked in the story now. Now I want to know how, what happened. Who was shooting at you? Was it the guy? Or was it a neighbor or something? Um, no. The you could hear you could hear the fight inside the trailer. I I still don't know who shot at me. Of really? Course, that- yeah, I still don't know. And it, they, they never caught the guy. Hmm. Um, I wasn't about to go running to the corner of, of the trailer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so I, I got into what is, what is called a low position, pulled out <laughs> my weapon and, and I didn't know if the next shot was coming. So I'm not going to expose myself. Of course, I call out over the radio shots fired and then the cavalry comes. Everybody comes. Okay. So you had and, to wait for backup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When yeah. that situation, you don't. It's not like the movies. You're you're RoboCop walking out there. <laughs> you know, you, you wait for your backup. Yeah. And when you yell shots fired, it's not too long before someone's there with you. Which was part of the thing that got me with the Darren Wilson thing. He, he the, the testimony said he said shots fired over the radio. Come on. I mean, it's what. 30 seconds, and trust me, the cavalry is there. Now, of course, we, we cleared the area, and we were able to get inside the house and arrest the man, and trust me, the woman was beaten to a bloody pulp by the oh, time geez. we got there. But and but then that is when you make a decision. Do you run in the house to break up the fight, or do you make sure that the threat outside is taken care of first? You have to make that decision. Yeah, My decision was the man shot at me. I heard the bullet go by my head. There's no way in hell I'm walking out into the clear open. It's not happening. So I had to sit there until somebody got there to help me clear the area to even get into the house where the the domestic dispute was happening in the first place. Wow. Yeah, I I can't even imagine. I mean, that that must be really, really tough. Uh, There must be so many times of just judgment calls, you know, and I I know you have a lot of training, but... You know, training can't prepare you for everything, and and that that's that's difficult. Well, <clears throat> well, you have to make so many judgment judgment calls within one situation. Yeah, because because the whole the whole situation can change in an instant. You know, everything looks fine, and then the next instant, all hell breaks loose. You know, I, I've seen it many times. You go into the to the house of, of of a fight, and you arrest a man. Next thing you know, you have his wife jumping on your back, yeah. trying to beat you because <laughs> you're arresting her husband, and he was beating the hell out of her. You know, you get situations like that. So you have to be able, what the military says, adapt and overcome. And you have to adapt to those changes, and hopefully you make the right decision, and hopefully you do the right thing. And if you don't do the right thing, you have to pay the consequences for that. And that's one of the things that I think Officer Wilson is going to deal with is I don't think it's quite over for him because now comes comes the civil suit. Mm, yeah. You know, the, the, the family is going to sue, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and rightly so. Yeah. And, and definitely in this in the New York one, too. Um, yeah. You know, I'm well, wondering to it might put you on the spot a little bit, but no, that's OK. Is there anything? That you've thought of over the years. Now, you you were an officer for seven years, you said, right? Right, seven. Um, now, how many years ago was that? 
I got out of law enforcement in the early 2000s. Okay. So, yeah, yeah it's been, been a little while. Is there anything in light of uh, these kind of incidents, is there any critique of police training that you have or do you see it as rather people not applying their training correctly? I mean, is there any way, anywhere where you think the training falls short or is it mainly bad decisions, bad officers, that sort of thing when, when this happens? I, I think it could easily be a little bit of both, hmm. you know, because um, you're going to fall back on your training, but you also have to make a rash, a rash decision in a hurry. And I, and I think what happened was, um, especially when it came to to Officer Wilson, I know more about that do, about sure, that than sure, I sure. the New York cop. Um, the thing with with Officer Wilson is, I think he, I think what happened was he got into what is called tunnel vision, and he and he made a bad decision. Now his training should have taken over, but there are times, man, when when you are in those situations, your training only takes you so far. So when it gets to, when it gets to that point, you you have a decision to make, and that's where he was when Mike when Michael Brown started walking back toward him. He had a decision to make: Can I go non lethal? Can I keep backing away until till my backup gets here? I don't see a gun. Do I kill the man? Do I not? He's already he's already injured. I'm not so injured, you know. And they talk about the size of Michael Brown. Well, yeah, he was what six five. The officer was six four, so he wasn't much bigger. Yeah. The, than Wilson, he was one inch and fifty pounds bigger. So uh, that's bigger enough for me. But but yeah, I mean, yeah, but I don't yeah, want to fight if, a guy fifty pounds, you know, heavier than me. No, no, but that's part. But that's part of the job of what you sign up for. You you sign up for that situation. I I'm six foot two twenty, and if I come up against someone that's six four, three hundred, I still have to handle that situation. Yeah, you have to handle it effectively, and you and you can't, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, all I'm saying there is that I, I think 50 pounds is. I think it's it's fair to say, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a lot of weight. It's fair to say, especially coming from you know, I've done wrestling and a bit of you know, a bit of bit of grappling myself. I 50 pounds is a lot, and so if it if it comes down to it, it is a physical advantage. I'm not saying that justifies anything. That's not what I meant to say at all. I just mean. I accept uh I accept the officer feeling physically threatened by someone fifty pounds heavier. Well yeah, that, that's all yes. I'm saying. Of course. All right. Uh so that's I'm gonna have to cut it off there. And apologies, it's a little bit of an awkward cut, I know, but that's sometimes the way the timing works. Um, but I will make it up to you, patrons, by making sure Thursday is available very early. Uh, so Thursday's show will be available quite early via Patreon in the bonus feed. If you want to get a hold of that, go to patreon.com slash atheist. Thank you guys so much for uh, your patronage. I really appreciate it. Oh, and in Thursday's episode, I'll I'll make sure to catch up on my Patreon thank yous because uh, uh, I've been uh, missing those due to recording at odd times and all that. So I need to catch up. So uh, yeah, be sure to send in your comments for the first part, and I'll try to uh, take you know uh, address them in part two, and we'll see where we go. So fun stuff. All right, I will talk to you guys on Thursday.